being here tonight on uh, this uh, first night of our uh, soul winning conference. It's always my privilege and honor to uh, to introduce Dr. Shelton Smith. He's my friend. He's been here 29 years. I told him, man, he always pretty tough if he can hang around me that long. And uh, y'all listen to him, and he'll help you. I guarantee that because he wants you just to be a servant of the Lord. Now remember, tomorrow night uh, he's going to be here, and so is uh, Brother Joe Arthur. And looking for a good time with both of them, and so just encourage folk to come and be much in prayer for it. We'll have a good time. So I'm going to turn it over to uh, Dr. Smith, and y'all listen to him well. Thank you, Pastor, very, very much. Wow, it's good to be back in Crossville again. I uh, thinking as I was driving over here, you know, our, our city of Murfreesboro is bigger than Crossville, but I'm kind of jealous because y'all got a Bucky's before we did. <laughs> but now we're getting one next year. They're already working on it. And uh, it's going to be there at the Joe Jackson uh, Parkway exit. Uh, and uh, on, on Interstate 24, but uh, <clears throat> but anyway, you all are. You, I mean, you all you all have hit the big time now with getting a Bucky's. You know that, don't you? I mean, I I can mention. I mean, I can be Arizona or wherever and and mention Bucky's, and and you know there'll usually be one or two people say, "Oh yeah, I've been there," and then there's other people say, "What in the world is that?" And then we tell them, you know, I, I tell people, I said, you've got to get it on your resume. You've got to get it on your resume. You've got to. <clears throat> but anyway, anyway, that's just uh, here or there. But, uh, but I'm guessing, I'm guessing you all are enjoying that. But it's a delight to be here always, a delight to come be with Brother Curley. And we, we do some other things together once in a while. And, uh, but uh, my, we were just reflecting. 29 years we've been doing this here. And uh, tomorrow night... Tomorrow night, we, we're going to have a little double header tomorrow night now. And don't let that scare you because uh, uh, Brother Joe and I, neither one of us are prone to just go on and on forever. I, I told some folks earlier this week, uh, I said, you give me 30, 35 minutes most nights and I'm, and I'm good. And Brother Joe usually picks it up and sets it down pretty, pretty quickly too. So we'll... And, and, and look here, it's 10 minutes after the hour and you already got me up. So we're, we're going to be good and uh, we'll do the same tomorrow night and have a big time. And has Brother Joe been here before? Yes. Uh, so you all know what you're getting. I mean, he's, <laughs> Brother Joe is top notch and he'll, he'll have some good things for us as well. So anyway, delighted, uh, delighted to be here and uh, thankful to the Lord that uh, we didn't, by the way, as you all have requested me to do over and over again, I got the Christmas cards and the get well cards and the birthday cards, all that. I brought a half a truckload of them. So you all come out there to the table and some other things as well. We've got some new books and things and uh, they're all out there uh, for you to look at and I hope that you'll find something you want. And uh, I'm going to do two things here tonight, two passages. First of all, I want to read from uh, Matthew chapter 14. <clears throat> And uh, now, 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 let me correct that. Now, let me correct that. John chapter 6. John chapter 6. I, I just uh, had a spot marked and turned my Bible to the wrong page. <laughs> you ever done that, Pastor? All right, well. Yes, yes. All right, John, John, chapter, John chapter 6. I was telling Brother Ward a while ago, he, he preached for, 
our church over in Murfreesboro where Betty and I are members at Bellwood a few Sundays ago and the folks enjoyed him. And uh, the, other, the other pastor from here, Brother Krusko. Yeah, he was there I think this past Sunday and I haven't talked to them yet, but uh, I'm sure they enjoyed him as well. So Brother Curley helped me out with that a little bit. We've been without a pastor for a while and I've kind of been the unofficial interim uh, when I'm in town, I've been I preached there over 60 times this year already, and uh, so we need some help, and these guys have been good to help us. Uh, John chapter 6, and I begin reading right near the end of the chapter at uh, verse number 60. <coughs> John chapter 6 and verse 60. Many therefore of his disciples, <clears throat> when they heard this, uh, said... This is an hard saying, who can hear it? Now, let me, let me pause in the reading here because there's, there's a word there we need to define just a little bit because it's very easy to miscalculate if you don't understand what I'm about to tell you. The word disciple in the Bible means a learner or a student. And it doesn't always mean that somebody's been saved. Sometimes they're just tagging along and learning. And this is a case in point. Uh, there are times in the Bible when the word disciple is used to apply to people who have been saved. But there are other times when it's just talking about, hey, these folks are coming along and they're learning. And you'll see what I mean here momentarily. So when Jesus had explained some things to them, some of these tag-alongs, not saved yet, these tag-along folks, they're learning, they're students. They're trying to figure out what he's telling them. And, uh, and some, some of them said, oh, man, this, this is tough. This hard, is this hard. We're not sure we want to hear this. And so they're, they're balking. Brother, can you turn me down just a little bit? I think I'm just a little loud. When, uh, not, not a whole lot, but thank you. There we go. Verse number 61. When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, Doth this offend you? What, and if you shall see the Son of Man ascend up from where he was before? It is the Spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you that believe not. So see, there you have it. Some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not, and who should betray him. And he said, Therefore said I unto you, that no man can come unto me, except it were given unto him of my Father. Now, here's verse 66, one of the saddest verses in all of the Bible. And I think it's very interesting that it just happens to be John 6, 66. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve... Notice now he's changed the terminology. He's talking to the twelve. And he says to them, Will ye also go away? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life, and we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. I, uh, I, I want to I build off of this uh, question that Jesus raised here with the uh, disciples and uh, with the twelve when he said to them, will ye also go away? And uh, some other questions that Jesus raised along the way. 
In fact, what I'm going to call some very heart-probing questions. Uh, you know, when Jesus asks questions, he's not seeking information. Every question that you see Jesus asking in the Bible, he's not after information. He's already got the information because he knows everything. But what he's doing when he raises questions, sometimes it's to uh, correct, sometimes it's to conjole, sometimes it's to comfort, uh, coaching us, all of that. Uh, just various things, various things that he has in mind. Sometimes he's providing information for us just by asking a question. But he never is asking for himself because he already knows the answer to the question. You know, uh, people ask questions. We all ask questions. It's kind of interesting because, uh, you know, uh, children, children are famous for their questions. And sometimes the little guys... You know, they'll ask you a question and you can't help but chuckle. You just can't help but chuckle. There's other times when the, the little darlings will ask you things and it'll cause you to stutter because it's not something you really want to tackle right now. And, uh, and so it's that way. But then you have other people, you know, they get a little more grown up. And what, what they do sometimes, uh, you know... I mean, somebody may come and just ask you a question because they're uninformed. They think you are informed and they want an answer. But then they've got other people, they'll say things like, uh, uh, well, so you got a different car. What'd you give for it? What'd you give for it? Or ladies, uh, you know, you come in wearing a new pair of shoes and some other lady says, uh, hey, hey, I like those. What, what, how much do you have to pay for those? And you say, what's the problem with those people? They're just plain nosy. They are just nosing around and they need to butt out. <laughs> they, I mean, I, you know, how much you gave for the car, it's your business. How much you gave for the shoes, that's your business. Now, if you want to volunteer the information, that's something else. But the questions sometimes that we get, uh, well, you know how they are. But when Jesus asks us a question, I'm going to say to you, it's wise for us that we not be evasive that we not dodge the issue, but when Jesus asks a question, you and I ought to really, really pay attention. Because he's not after information. But rather instead, he's, he's really working to challenge us. And so in this case here in John 6, uh, he asked that question of the apostles after these uh, would-be disciples had uh, walked away and left him. He said to them, will ye also go away? You see, what's happening here, uh, these folks who left, I mean, then as now, they, they knew, they had heard, they'd been given information, but they turned and they went back. You know, the Bible tells us in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4 that the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. And very frankly, I think we're here. Amen. Amen. I think the time has arrived. Uh, it's, it's stunning to me. The things that I read on the web, things that I get in news items, it's stunning to me 
I mean, things that are, I mean, people that uh, you thought would never have turned sour, but they've turned sour. They've got into things that, uh, I mean, it doesn't represent the Lord at all. And, and many of them headed down some worldly trail, some of them chasing off into fleshly venues or caving into some kind of uh, dissident doctrinal thing and just doing every kind of a thing that they ought not to do. And uh, when Jesus raises the question of the apostles and he says, will you also go away? That question ought to thunder in our ears as well. Amen. I mean, we get pressure. Uh, we, we get hurt. We, we uh, find ourselves sometimes uh, bleeding a little bit because somebody has cut on us. And the question is, how are we going to handle it in a world where things are turning sour? Are we going to sour as well and walk away from the Lord or are we going to stick by Him uh, as we ought to do? And so when He raises that question, and it's in the Bible, it's there to probe at us. And He says, okay, so you don't like something that's happened. Something's hit you or hurt you or caused you some grief of some kind. Are you going to walk away as well? Now, second question that I turn to in Matthew chapter 11. I'm not going to turn and read all of these, but in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus asked the question, He said, Whereunto shall I liken this generation? And then He gave two illustrations. And He said, well, this generation is like children. And what He describes there is children that are playing at funerals and weddings. You say, children playing funerals and weddings. Yeah, in, in, the, in the Jewish culture of that day especially, but they still do this to some degree, and especially for funerals. Whenever, whenever somebody died uh, in, the, in the Jewish culture of that day, they wanted to be sure that the right kind of, of grieving and mourning was expressed. And so maybe they got a small family, or maybe they're just not a family that's all that outspoken, so they would hire mourners. These mourners, I mean, they, they, were, they, they would come and, and we're going to have a parade, uh, sort of a march over to the grave site, and these mourners, I mean, they're, they're going to be weeping crocodile tears and wailing out loud, and the louder the better because they're being paid to do it. Now, they don't mean a word of it. It's unreal. It's not real. So what are they doing? They're playing funeral. And they did some of the same thing for weddings. And I've seen some of those in, uh, in Israel, some of the funerals, uh, where that they're, they're having that and they're playing music and making all kinds of noise and, and, and stuff. Now, uh, today, uh, uh, in America, we have folks uh, playing at things that they ought not to be playing at. I think we've got a lot of people playing God. Amen. Playing God. Oh yeah, man, I can do whatever I want to do. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. I'll live my life, man. I'm going to live forever anyway. Playing God with themselves. Amen. And we got a lot of folks who play church. Amen. Play church. Just, man, it's hit and miss. You know, it's uh, there for me if I want it. And they play at it all the time. Jesus said, whereunto shall I liken this generation? He says, well, they're like a bunch of children playing funerals and weddings, mocking or uh, imitating their, their, their elders uh, who hired mourners, actors to pretend, and the children are, are aping them. They're, they're just monkey see, monkey do type thing. This generation, 
indoctrinated at the universities and entertained by Hollywood. And there's just a lot of folks who are playing at things that's not really real to them. Before I came to the sword uh, 28 years ago, I was pastor in Maryland for a long time. And uh, we were, our city of Westminster is about 30 minutes out of Baltimore City. And between Westminster and Baltimore City, there are two other burgs, Reisterstown and Owings Mills. And uh, on a day, uh, I received a phone call from one of our families. The lady told me that her husband had died and uh, that a couple of days later, they wanted me to do the funeral, which I agreed to do. And it was going to be at Owings Mills, maybe 10 miles from the church. And I drove down the, drove down the boulevard to get there, walked in the funeral home. The family was there, a small family. I don't know, might have been 30 or 35 people there for the funeral. And uh, this particular funeral home, they, they had their, their chapel. And at the back, they had the doors fixed with accordion-type doors so they could close them off. And the practice there was that, you know, when the funeral was done, casket still open, family would have some time. And some of the places here do the same thing. Uh, the family would have some private time, but friends would go ahead and they would put them out in another part of the building and let the family, well, they always had the pastor to stay with the family. So I'm, I'm there with the family. The friends are already out in the lobby. And all at once, one of those accordion doors opened. And in walks this man. He's dressed, I mean, I'll never will forget, uh, I, I would guess he was about 6'1", maybe, and he was dressed in a beautiful brown suit, matching tie. I mean, he was dressed to the teeth. And he comes in and he sees me standing there, you know, holding my Bible like so. And he walks over and he said, you the pastor? I said, I'm the pastor. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, he, said, he said, I'm William Casey, the head of the CIA. And I'm here on behalf of the president uh, to bring greetings to the family. Now, let me pause in the story to tell you. <laughs> I had met William Casey. We were just an hour from D.C. and I, I was down at the Capitol a lot. I had met William Casey twice, shook his hand on two occasions, plus I'd seen him on TV a bunch of times. William Casey was the head of the CIA at that time, but this guy was not William Casey and I knew it. And he said, is that the widow? I said, yes, sir. He walks over, makes the same speech to her. I'm William Casey, head of the CIA, here on behalf of the president to bring greetings to you and express sympathy. He walked over to the casket, saluted the, the uh, deceased person, and turned around and walked out through those accordion doors. And the funeral director, who I knew a little bit, didn't know him real well, but he was standing there with his mouth agape. And the guy got in a big Lincoln and drove off. <laughs> the funeral director came over to me and he said, do you know who that guy, he said, did you know that guy? I said, I said, no, I don't know him. He said, well, who was he? I said, I don't know who he was, but I know who he wasn't. He was not William Casey. I never seen the guy again, never heard of him being around anywhere. You say, what was he doing? Sometime, if you get acquainted with a funeral director, I promise you every one of them's got some stories about some weird things. In fact, <laughs> over the years I've preached several hundred funerals and I've got some stories. <laughs> some of which I wish I could tell out loud. Now, I'm just, I'm just telling you. 
You say, what was the guy in the brown suit? He was playing a game. Maybe nuttier than a fruitcake, but he was playing a game. Uh, uh, years ago, I was pastor over in West Tennessee while I was a student at the university over there. And, and, uh, and one of the funeral directors over there, we, we were there one night for a, for a viewing, and this guy comes in, marches in like this, walks up to the casket, stands there for a minute, turns around, marches out. Funeral director, that one I knew really well. And he said, see that guy going there? He said, yeah. He said, everybody we have. He comes in here, takes about 10 seconds, stares at it, turns around and walks out. And he said, what's going on? Playing a game. And Jesus said that this generation, this generation has got itself locked into some things that are not real. They're pretending. They're playing games. All of this humanism and atheism and agnosticism. I mean, all of that stuff. People are playing. I mean, it's like, it's like everybody wants to be a Hollywood actor and they're pretending things that are not for real. And Jesus said, this generation is in trouble because that it's playing God. It's suggesting to us that we're playing God. Playing at funerals. Playing at weddings. And playing church. Now, a third question. Mark chapter 12. Jesus said, another question. Do you not therefore err because you know not the Scriptures, neither the power of God? You say, what's the matter with this generation? Well, Jesus just told us in that question. He said to them, he said, you are in error because you do not know the Scriptures and you do not know the power of God. He's talking to Jews. These folks have a rich heritage. They're God's people. They have the prophets. Generation after generation, they've had men of God to tell them what they need to hear. And yet they are stumbling just like the heathen nations. And you say, why did they do that? Jesus told us. They were ignorant of the Scripture and ignorant of the power of God. Amen. And folks, in the darkest hours, in the darkest hours, America and every one of us individually need the light that comes from God's Word. Amen. Amen. Now, listen, there, there's no way. I, I mean, I mean, every... every married couple in this building, there is no way that you can build long-term what you ought to have in your life as a married couple. And I mean, if you've got family, there's no way that you can build in your family what you could have, what you ought to have, unless you line it up with what's in this book. Amen. I mean, we're just not smart enough. Amen. We're just not able enough to pull it off like it ought to be done. Oh, I mean, we might have a little of this, a little of that, that'd be good. But to have it like it ought to be, we need to learn what's in this book. And if we'll stick with what's in the book, there'll be a whole lot less errors made. You know, you and, I, you and I live in the flesh and none of us are sinless. But if we listen to God, we'll sin less. That's for sure. And he says to that generation... He said, what's the problem with you guys? And he said, you don't know the Scriptures and you don't know the power of God. You know, there's a lot of our churches. A lot of our churches around America. I mean, if, uh, if, I mean, if they had uh, 
anything at all start to happen. I mean, they'd be raising eyebrows. I mean, I hear, I hear stories just every little once in a while. You know, church buys a couple of buses. <laughs> and, you know, they start bringing in, you know, some folks that, you know, maybe don't know how to function they're in church. I mean, they're just, they don't know, and, and all at once they got issues. Oh, they're, they're, they're messing up the carpet or something. And it just shakes them up. And uh, sometimes, you know, man, it's like, you know, you have several people saved and, and, uh, and I mean, there, there are places where that would be, I mean, it, it would upset their apple cart. And uh, you say, what's the deal? They just don't know the power of God. They just don't know it. Now, question number four. Luke chapter 18, Jesus asked the question, when the Son of Man cometh, will he find faith on the earth? Now, the answer to that question is yes, he will, a little bit. But the question is, the question implies that he's not going to find a lot. Because of the things we've already just been talking about. And the question that I, and I raise the question here with us tonight because I think every one of us need to, I mean, we need to decide within ourselves, are we going to be one of the few, or are we going to be among the many? Jesus said, straight is the gate, narrow is the way, and few there be that find it. He said, that broad way, hey, a lot of folks out there. And whenever you and I look at that, and Jesus said, when I, when I come, will I, will I find faith on the earth? I mean, I want to cry out and say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. There will be some of us. There will be some in Crossville. There will be some from Cornerstone. Amen. Amen. Question number five. Jesus asked his disciples in Matthew 16, and he said, who do people say that I am? Oh, they said, some say you're Elijah. Some say you're Jeremiah. Some say you're one of the prophets. And he said, but whom say ye? That I am. And the question you and I need to face, if we haven't done it already, we need to ask ourselves the question what do we say about Jesus? What do we say when his name comes up? Do we know him or do we not? I was up in Indianapolis earlier this week, Sunday, Monday, and last night, and uh, Lady waited on me at McDonald's yesterday morning, and I gave her a gospel track, and uh, and she said, "Oh, I wanted to have a church." And I said, "Well, that's really talking about salvation and stuff. That track I'm giving you." She said, "But I have a church." And I said, "Well, well, good. You got a church." I said, "Where, where do you go?" And she mentioned the name of a Baptist church. Now, the whole time, my spirit is not resonating with her spirit. I can, I can sense something negative in her response. Um, actually, that was, that was Monday. Yes, yesterday, I, I was back, same place, about the same time of morning, uh, about uh, 7 o'clock in the morning. And, uh, <laughs> and, and I mean, when, when she saw me come in, I mean, it was like she didn't look up. She didn't look me in the eye. She didn't say, may I wait on you? She just waited for me to tell her what I wanted. She punched it in 
and I mean, I mean, it was it was cold. You say, what do you think is going on there? I think she may go to church once in a while, but I'd be very surprised if she has much connection to Jesus. Now, I could be wrong, but it just appeared that way. You know, a lot of people, a lot of people across America, they'll tell you they're Catholics, they're Methodists, they're Baptists, they're something. But whenever you probe them, right in our city in Murfreesboro, knocking doors, Saturday, Saturdays when we go door knocking, you know, people say, oh yeah, man, I'm this, I'm that, I'm something else. But you start to ask them about their salvation. And all at once, it's maybe, perhaps, very iffy. Amen. No certainty. Amen. Jesus said, whom say ye that I am? And then here's, here's one more question. And this one, this one is directed to those of us who are certain. We know Him. And it's the one from John 21 where Jesus three times asked the question, Lovest thou me more than these? Now, what's He asking? He's asking, do we have love greater than the boat that we've been blessed with or greater than the RV we've been blessed with or greater than the bank account we have or greater than whatever. Do, do we love Him more than all of these other things? I think His probing question here is, do you really love Me? Amen. See, love doesn't have boundaries. Love doesn't have a price tag on it. Love doesn't say, well, you know, I've got reservations there. But love, I mean, love just keeps on giving. Love is not a quitter. And whenever Jesus said, lovest thou me more than these, if we can answer that question, honestly, it will tell us who we really are. And what he's looking for is that we'll have a love so much while I was still pastor, good man in our church, they'd been in a liberal church before they came to us, they got saved, came, they'd been with us a couple of years, he was ushering, and uh, good, I mean he was a good usher, good personality, he was a good person to meet people coming in the door and all that. One Sunday, I was walking in through the lobby and he said, hey pastor, he said, I won't be here next Sunday. And I said, uh, what's going on? I called him, his first name was Charlie. I said, I said uh, what's going on, Charlie? He said, oh, he said, uh, he said, this time of year, he said, you know, the county fair's next week. And he said, I always park cars for them at the fair. So he said, Sunday morning, I'll be out there parking cars. I said, uh, really? I said, uh, I said uh, Charlie, come over a minute. I want to ask you something. And I walked over kind of out of the stream and out of the flow away from other people. I put my arm around him. And I said, Charlie, uh, I said, you ever thought about the fact that the two years you've been here, you've made quite a reputation with people. You've got a good testimony with people. And I said, you know, they're going to ask next Sunday, where's Charlie? Because you're always here. And I said, now Charlie, I said, you've put me in a bind. I said, do I, do I hedge and not tell them? I said, do you want me to tell them what you're doing next Sunday? 
You say, you're a tough old bird. <laughs> no, I'm a loving pastor. And I did it very lovingly with my arm around him, and he knew that I loved him. He turned and looked at me, and he said, Pastor, I don't know what I was thinking. And I said, Charlie, there's all kinds of people, unsaved people and whatever, that they can get to park cars at the fair. But I said, I said, with the reputation and the testimony you have here, I said, just that one little thing, and it's not a gross sin maybe, but I said, one little thing, I said, you're telling people there's something more important than what we got going on here. Amen. And to me, it illustrates, and, and he corrected. He corrected and did it willingly. I mean, I couldn't have asked for somebody to have been better about how he responded to that, and, and he got somebody else to take his place and, and was right there come the next Sunday to do what he was supposed to do. <clears throat> but to me, it's a good illustration of somebody when confronted with, what, what do you love? He said, whoops. And he corrected himself to do it right. Now, all of these questions, and there are more than these. There's just a little handful of them. All of these questions that Jesus raised, what are they there for? They're there to coach us. They're there sometimes to conjole us, to, to you know, kind of get under our skin a little bit, to get us corrected. Now, if I listen to the questions of Jesus, if I listen, talking to me, if I listen to Jesus' questions, it'll help me to stay alert. If I listen to the questions of Jesus, it'll keep me from drifting. If I listen to the questions of Jesus, it'll help me to key in on the things of the faith like I ought to. If I listen to the questions of Jesus, it'll help me to run the Christian race with patience. If I listen to those questions, it'll help me to stand tall. If I listen to those questions, it'll keep me pressing on when others are pressing against me. Whenever I listen to the questions of Jesus, I will keep looking up no matter what's going on down around. Those questions, if we answer them right, well, I think it'll do a lot of good things for us because they probe deep, they touch the heart, and for me, they motivate me to action. And I hope they will for you as well. That's why I call them heart-probing questions because I think Jesus intended to dig deep with every one of them. Let's bow together for prayer. Our Father, we love you. And we know that every, every step of the way, every day, we could be uh, probably a, a little bit better than, than what we were yesterday. And Lord, we thank you for questions as well as a lot of the statements that we have in the Bible. But these questions to me uh, probing, uh, digging at us just a little bit to get us to think stronger and to think better about where we go and where we head and what we do. Lord, help it to motivate us as we go. And we'll thank you, Lord, for what you do. And Lord, there may be folks here in this room tonight who've not, who've not come to the Lord Jesus. They're not saved yet. There may be those who are watching me on the live stream that are not saved. And dear Lord, I, I do pray that you'll help them to see that when Jesus died on the cross and arose from the grave, he paid the sin debt 
and made it possible for salvation to be a free gift. And Lord, I do pray that nobody would leave the room here and nobody would leave the live stream unless they're absolutely certain that they're born again, they're saved, they're in the family of God. And I pray that it shall be so. And Lord, help all of us, all of us who are saved, help us, dear Lord, to just sign up and surrender and yield ourselves and be warmer toward you today than we were yesterday. Thank you for what you'll do now in this time. And may the sweet, sweet Spirit of God move during this invitation time, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll stand up with me, please. We're going to sing something. <clears throat> and uh, we'll be ready to do it here. And uh, as the music begins, the altars are open. You do the Lord's bidding. Whatever that He bids you do, don't hesitate to do it. Just find your way and come on. Let's do something that will honor the Lord and that will take us further down the trail where we need to go. All right?